1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamota and my good friend Danny Abdeljabar. What's up, brother? How are you?
2: Chilling, man. As per usual. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good.
1: Um, sorry, guys, for not releasing an episode last week. Just the so much shit's going on. Um, a lot of like personal stuff is going on between both of us. Um, not beef or anything, but both of us. <laughs> yeah, the have way you make own. it sound yeah, like like
2: we're like we're feuding or something
1: like that. <laughs> yeah, that came off the wrong way. Both of us are busy, <laughs> have been busy in our in our personal lives, so we had to um, make time to, and, and um, you know take an episode off. But we're back, and the good news is, is since the past two weeks, since we last released an episode, there's been no nuclear war. Yep, we're still alive. We're still alive. Are you? Um. So I, I have family members. My sister, my brother-in-law, they're seriously prepping. Really, seriously prepping. They just got a. They have. Um. They're basically building a bomb shelter. They're getting years and years worth of food and water. Um they're in a pretty rural area right now Mm -hmm. they're preparing for all that war they're turning into the gummers from tremors um i don't think (laughs) you know that reference because i I tried it on you before but they're they're basically turning into the gummers and um you know they're giving me like survival advice they're like make sure that you get a uh, walkie-talkie with your fiance in case anything happens the phone you gotta go go bag (laughs) Do you have, yeah, do you have your go bet? Did you look at routes to escape the city? <laughs> they, like, your your subway tunnels are going to be your best friend. Because my sister used to live in the city. Right. Now, um, for me, I'm tempted to do it. I'm tempted to start prepping seriously. Like, I, I've actually gone, um, they've sent me YouTube channels of uh, of these prepper guys. One, one of them is from New York. His name is The Angry Prepper, mm-hmm. or he used to live in New York. And the only reason why I don't start prepping, because I am concerned. It's not that I'm not concerned. Every single day I wake up, I'm like, hmm. I wonder if it's gonna happen. Um, to the point where when I'm like waking up and it's a bad day and I don't feel like doing something, I'm like, man, I would just just do it. <laughs> just <laughs> just start blasting these things so I don't have to get up and do what I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um but there's no chance living in New York that you're going to survive a nuclear war. There's absolutely no chance.
2: Right. You're I'm, gonna gone. <laughs> I'm going to die. I'm going to
1: die. There's no point. There's no point trying to map out your, your exit from an all out nuclear war when you're in the biggest population center and probably and most likely the, the primary belligerent of that nuclear war. You're just not going to survive so why waste money prepping when I mean, you can just spend that money on um, you know the oh, off shit. chance or the better chance that there won't be a nuclear war because I still think it's a better chance there won't be right. but I don't know I'm at, I'm at around 10% now that's that's my uh, nuclear war internal rating for whatever that's like, worth uh,
2: you're at like less than 1 o'clock it's like you know <laughs> 1230 1245 for you for the nuclear yeah. uh, doomsday clock
1: my doomsday clock is is um has increased since we started this show to say the very least now my thought actually lies with you because okay. i'm a goner i'm a goner if there's a nuclear war but i was thinking about like well you know a place that probably won't that that would survive if there is a place would be puerto rico because Puerto yep. Rico, I mean, you're surprisingly kind of far from everything. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, how yeah. far is Puerto Rico from the coast of Florida? Oh, geez, I don't know. I'm going to Google like it right now. 300
2: miles? Miami to—let's just do it from Miami to Puerto Rico miles. The San Juan? It's, a,
1: it's 1,014 miles. Whoa, I was way off. 300 miles. Yeah, I guess yeah. what— 100 only 90
2: is, miles off so
1: yeah okay I was way off it's pretty far but then I was thinking like all right so the continental America is destroyed we all die and uh, you know whether we're in a blast radius or um, you know whether we turn into mutant freaks <laughs> Danny's gonna probably maybe live and I was happy oh. about that. I was like, "Danny and Danny and Walsh are going to survive this. I'm I'm happy about I'm happy about that." But then yep. I started thinking about the weird life that you would be living after after a nuclear holocaust because it would be it would really be weird. weird. I'm assuming if you're on Puerto Rico, most of the world has been destroyed. Uh, you know, maybe there's a few islands here and there. Maybe there's some you know other uh, parts of the continental world that haven't been destroyed. You have to remake society. And I was like, I wonder how Danny would do. I wonder what Danny would do. Well, that's or an interesting it might be, theory. Yeah. It could be like The Beach. You ever read the book The Beach? No. It's an Australian book. It's um, about a nuclear war that happens. And then the last survivors are in Australia. And there's a countdown. They all know they're actually going to die from radiation poisoning. So mm-hmm. they're all just like anticipating their death, and mm-hmm. um, that's that's the that's the the book. They're just these Australians who are anticipating their death from the nuclear fallout, and at the very last days of their lives, they have like this huge, huge party where everyone starts doing things like you know um, race car, like really deadly race car r- racing, and you know just you know uh, really dangerous. Uh, bucket list type things. And, and that's how it ends. Everyone dies. It's a very depressing book. So I was like, maybe it will be kind of like, like that in Puerto Rico, which I wouldn't want you to go through. I'm actually kind of happy if there's a nuclear war and I'm gone right away. Because I don't yeah, think I, have I would to deal, deal with, with the, <laughs> the stress of something like that. Like, for example, if I was ever in a zombie apocalypse, I think I would just immediately let zombies eat me. I would just be like, I don't want to deal with that. Like, I don't want to go through the stress of living <laughs> in a zombie apocalypse. I'm just going to give myself up to the zombies right now and just have it
2: be painless. Oh, I wouldn't so call it that. That's my mentality. I'm probably better off shooting. I'm not myself. a survivalist. <laughs> You're just going to let it happen. I mean, look, this is interesting because, you know, when you, when you asked me this earlier, I actually went on um, Nuke Map, which we've actually, uh, like, played with on the show live when we did one of our live streams a long time ago. And I was just like, all right, well, what's the closest major city, you know, in the continental U.S. to uh, Puerto Rico? And that's Miami. And I just basically dropped a Czar Bomba, like the biggest one possible on Miami. And there's a bunch of cool little filters that you can do, you know, including like where's the nuclear fallout? And it'll show you like where, where all that nuclear stuff will go. And it's nowhere near Puerto Rico. So, you know, un- unless... If this is like major nuclear war, like nuclear winter, then I'm going to be okay in the beginning because I'm not going to get bombed and I'm not going to get any immediate nuclear fallout. But it is an island and it is prone to crazy fucking weather. So what would probably happen is ridiculous weather events. might not happen immediately, uh, but it certainly would happen after a while with all the nuclear fallout. Things will get colder, you know, Uh, who knows how shit will happen. My girlfriend, I told my girlfriend about this and she was like, well, what about tsunamis? And I don't I don't necessarily know that nuclear bombs would create tsunamis large enough to reach Puerto Rico or cause any, any harm in that respect, but it wouldn't be good. And, you know, Puerto Rico is very, very dependent on the United States for literally everything. Um, so, you know, we'd run out of food probably pretty quickly. Um, power goes out all the time in Puerto Rico anyway. So, That'll probably happen, and it'll be totally unrelated to nuclear war. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean supplies would run it just happen to be out already, quick, and then people when will start getting real, great, getting real crazy. Getting Maybe I should prep. <laughs> yeah, you you should be the one
1: who's uh, investing in prep, and um, uh, that came out funny, prep, um, but um, but you should be the one who's investing in in prepping. Because you have a fighting chance not to die, and most likely you're going to live in, like, Mad Max scenario. Yep. Where, like, the, all the society starts, uh, you know, going to war with each other for the remaining resources.
2: You're going to have to buy an off-road vehicle and, like, I don't know, a gun or something like that.
1: <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to get some sweet camo to survive in those uh, Puerto Rican rainforests. I know. I know. Man. That'd be a good book. If someone wants to write a post-apocalyptic book. I think that would be the the setting of a of a good like nuclear fallout book. Um, there's <laughs> a, there's a, there's a really good book called uh, Metro twenty thirty. It's a Russian book about a nuclear war that happens, and it's about the survivors who live in the subway system. Hmm. It's a, I would encourage people to check it out. It's pretty good. They made a video game after it as well.
2: But, um, okay, a, you want to here's, start talking here's another, about- Here's another last thing oh. on that. Maybe preppers should think about moving to Puerto Rico, right? Think about it. We've already <laughs> talked about like, the tax benefits, can. right? Yeah. Now you have some shielding from nuclear winter. Think about that. You should tell your well, sister and your brother-in-law to consider a vacation home in Puerto Rico.
1: <laughs> well, you already get like these crazy crypto millionaires moving there. Yep.
2: Maybe they're all but just I afraid think, of doomsdays, right? <laughs>
1: well, maybe I think a lot of the it? the the crazy preppers they're they're priced out of the Puerto Rican real estate because the you know it's such a, it's such a desirable place to live right now.
2: Hey man, that's I'm about. able to afford it. I think they should have a second look. <laughs> oh, okay, well, maybe, I'm not a crypto maybe, millionaire, man. I do well, but not that well. <laughs> well, a lot of these. Uh,
1: Preppers, they want space. And it's hard to get space on an island.
2: Dude, you'd be surprised if to middle. get space on an island there and is not be so much, Escobar. There is so much, like, random empty plots land in the middle of nowhere, Puerto Rico, where you can go and do whatever the fuck you want. It's pretty crazy. And it's cheap. Like, land. It's pretty cheap. So, Preppers, check out Puerto Rico. I promise. It's interesting.
1: Well, maybe... Maybe maybe the war will start when I'm there in, in a couple of weeks. Oh God,
2: let's not put that into the universe. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, they'll be stuck with me forever until until uh, you know I get uh, my like head chopped off from a from a twelve year old child warrior. All right, let's start this show. All right. So we want to talk about. Well, I wanted to talk about missiles today, and. The truth is, I really don't know that much about them. I can barely tell you the difference between a ballistic missile and a cruise missile. And there's just so much footage going on, or there's so much footage available now of just these cruise missiles zipping, zipping by the Ukrainian landscape. And it's just pretty crazy because I've never really seen this type of war footage before in my life. Just frequent cruise missiles flying around. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk to you about it because you're much better than on this stuff than I am, and and I really just wanted to, you know, pick your brain and, and honestly just get educated on it, sure. um, and, and, and hear about you know what's going on, what what are the ammunitions of of uh of the Ukrainians and the Russians, um, you know what what models are these missiles? Because you know I'll watch videos on on Twitter and Telegram and people will be like oh this is a you know a T140 H72 cruise missile <laughs> and when i look at these videos i'm just like i don't really even know what i'm looking at mm-hmm. i just see like a, almost a plane flying to a target flying somewhere yep um so yeah there it is um let's let's talk missiles
2: sure man and and honestly you're right in kind of being astounded by the use of you know these ballistic missiles in this in this current conflict, because you know as I've learned uh, in researching this, we there have been more missiles you know launched specifically um, you know ballistic missiles since the so War ballistic World not cruise two. missiles. Well, they kind of all fall in the same category. We'll, we'll talk more about them in a minute, but just more missiles have been ballistic missiles have been used in this conflict that since like world war two and who knows i mean we might surpass it but you know world war two was crazy as hell so i'm not not hoping for it let's just put it that way but you know your idea of kind of talking about this has really given me you know uh, a rabbit hole to follow and it was kind of hard uh, i'm staring at like 60 pages of notes which is more than i've ever <laughs> than i think i've ever put together and it was way too much Uh, So I really want to kind of narrow it down um, to a couple of things. So I definitely want to talk about the use of missiles in Ukraine and help you understand some of the more common ones, you know, how they're being used, who are using them, things like that. But I also want to talk a little bit about the international missile treaty uh, that we pulled out of under the Trump administration uh, and kind of talk about how that might have been uh, one of the bigger events that... That kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, uh, on Russia's part. Uh, and if we have some time, I'd love to uh, talk about how, you know, medium range rockets could change the dynamic of warfare and also a little pet project of mine, the use of drones, specifically loitering munitions drones. Uh, hopefully we have time to get to that, but uh, got a lot of stuff on that too. Does that sound like a good plan? Yeah, let's start. Let's do it. Cool.
1: All right, so I'm let's hold.
2: Yeah, let's let's talk missiles, right? Um, in Ukraine. So during the first couple hours of the invasion, uh, Russia used cruise missiles and a lot of precision short range ballistic missiles or SRBMs, uh, like extensively uh during this campaign against Ukraine. And according to US estimates, the first wave included more than a hundred missiles launched from land and sea. So that's just F- like a fucking lot of missiles in the first couple hours do you,
1: do you do you think it's worth just like describing the difference between a ballistic missile and a cruise missile real quick i mean all cruise or missiles, you, or Are you gonna get all that?
2: cruise missiles are ballistic missiles right ballistic missile is just a a missile right uh it's the big umbrella whereas a cruise missile is a specific type of ballistic missile that's really all you need to know about the differences
1: but but a cruise a, a cruise missile is usually guided to hit a target
2: and then all it, all missiles are guided to hit a target well but but a
1: ballistic but the different but the, what I'm trying to say is that there's some missiles that are being shot up into the air and then they're using gravity to land on a specific target
2: almost all of them do that but i think what you're tra- the the differentiation that you're trying to do is like cruise missiles often fly pretty horizontally like a low arc Versus a yeah, intercontinental ballistic missile that you're thinking about, which goes like super high into like basically space and then drops on uh, a, a target. Um, but generally speaking, all missiles are all of those missiles are considered ballistic missiles, whereas cruise missiles are kind of the ones that look like planes, the ones mm-hmm. that you were uh, talking about. And I'm not going to get into hypersonic missiles today because we already did a full episode on that. So if you want to listen more about hypersonics, you can check that episode out. Um, anyhow, uh, so where was I? Okay. So the latest figures, um, from a senior U S official on April 29th claimed that Russia has launched so far 1950 missiles. So that's interestingly more than double the, the cruise missiles that were used, um, in the invasion of Iraq in 2003, where they used 955 cruise missile strikes. So huge, huge, huge. Increase just so many goddamn missiles and you know there's just so many different types of them that were being used and, and as a very wide variety you know from short range to long range air, ground and sea launched you know smart ones dumb ones, hypersonic ones pretty much everything but nuclear armed missiles have been used in this conflict and I definitely don't think that we have time to go over all of them but we can talk about a few of the popular ones right now. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is the Iskander M. Uh, so some stats about this particular missile. Uh, it's a road mobile short, long, uh, short range uh, ballistic missile or an SRBM uh, It has a range of about 500 kilometers. Now that range is going to be super important uh, for later. So remember that part. Uh, it sits on a, a transporter erector launcher which is kind of a funny way to say a big-ass truck that carries missiles. So they, you know, park the truck, lift up the bed to fire the missiles. So you've definitely seen what these look like. They're like a long truck. And those trucks can also fire cruise missiles, but I am i don't want to confuse you. They're launchers. Um, so specifically, this Iskander launcher has basically this big old armor cover on the top of it for the missiles to keep them safe and also the cabin is super safe it has defenses against chemical biological radiological and nuclear hazards that's called CBRN defense also has pretty good uh, extreme temperature protection because you know those fuckers drive around in like Siberia and shit Um, the launcher can basically drive off road it's a good off roader and it has you know it can go as fast as like 43 miles an hour uh, for like almost 700 miles. It's got pretty good range and can move around a lot. So it's it's a very mobile uh, platform. And the Iskander is actually fairly accurate. And this is a word that we're gonna talk about again. You don't have to remember the actual name of it, but it's circular error probable or CEP. And basically what this means is half of the projectiles fired will land statistically in a circle uh, of five to seven meters, right? So basically the the margin of error, right? If you try to shoot something, it's going to hit somewhere between five and seven meters of that thing that you're aiming for, which is pretty good when you think about how far those things shoot, right? I'm going to shoot something 500 kilometers away and I'm going to get within five to seven meters. That's pretty damn good, if you ask me.
1: Um, yeah, it's pretty... It's uh, It's pretty surgical as mm-hmm. what they say right mm-hmm.
2: and they and they're very well guided right they use a, a number of like inertial and and other sensors to get them to where they need where they need to be
1: okay and these are russian missiles russian missiles
2: russian missiles okay all right let's talk about a another one here the otr-21 tochka
1: and that's and that's the one that bombed the uh, the train station a few weeks ago right
2: Yeah, but I got to be careful about this one because it's a super hot topic. Um, So there's a lot of variants on the Tachka and it's been around for a while. And it's also used by a shit ton of countries. So let's just do some basic stuff before we get into dicey territory. Um, The Tachka is a road mobile, you know, SRBM, just like the Iskander. Uh, There are a ton of different variants with different ranges and speeds, but the top range ones... Uh, are around 115 miles or 185 kilometers uh, of distance. They also sit on that truck that we were talking about. They also have CBRN defense, so against like chemicals and radiation, nuclear stuff. Also, this one's totally amphibious, so it, it can drive you know through water and stuff. Uh, and it has a maximum road speed of about 37 miles an hour and about five miles an hour in water. But it's not incredibly accurate. So the CEB uh, that we were talking about before of this particular weapon is around 70 meters, um, which for you know imperialist here, that's 229 feet. That's like a football field, right? So the thing you know sh- can shoot something 185 kilometers away, but you know it's gonna hit somewhere in the neighborhood of a football field. <laughs> so not super accurate okay so you're talking about you know uh
1: um between the one and gotcha a little bit less than a football field Mm -hmm. um so you would you would not call that surgical
2: (laughs) not exactly no not exactly now ukraine has a blunt hammer uh, well i mean it's better than it's better than a lot of things right it's it's not a totally dumb weapon right it is guided you know with inertial sensors but it's just not super reliable in that respect. Like, you you launch a lot of these at a big target to just, like, overwhelm. It's not like I want to hit you. and It's not like fuck you in particular, (laughs) you know? It's just hit somewhere in the general neighborhood. Um, And Ukraine has a a limited supply of these missiles, uh, but in the first days of the war, at least one was used to uh, attack a Russian airbase inside of Russia. Um, But... It's been used a lot of times, right? Uh, A lot of countries have fielded this mission in various conflicts. So in 94, the Yemeni government used the Tachka missiles against the southern forces during the 94 Yemen Civil War. Um, In 99, Russia used the missiles in the Second Chechen War. Uh, At least 15 Tachka missiles were deployed by Russia uh, in 2008 uh, during the South Ossetia War. Uh, in the Syrian army, uh, used them on several occasions between 2016 and 2018, and they mostly fired them against rebel groups. Notably, there was one interesting occasion where uh, this was on the on 23rd July. Uh, the Syrian army fired two Tachka missiles, kind of near the Israeli border, and initially, they the Israeli Defense Forces thought that it was going to go into Israel, kind of near the Sea of Galilee. So. The IDF basically fired two, like, interceptors at them. Uh, and a couple, you know, seconds later, they realized, oh, shit, it's actually going to hit within Syria. So they blew one up over Israel. But the other one, the other interceptor, actually fell inside of, of Syria. Um, interestingly, though, that one Tachka missile landed a kilometer outside of um, Israel or, like, inside of Syria. So it came real fucking close to going to Israel. So that was an interesting... Uh, little tidbit of information that I learned about that um, but moving on it, it's also been used by the Houthis uh, during the current Yemeni civil war uh, specifically in 2015 and 2016 and they've killed hundreds of Saudi coalition fighters with them um, also use were uh, pretty controversial during the 2020 Nagorno-Karabakh um, war uh, apparently Azerbaijan claimed that Armenia fired a bunch of tachki U rockets at its territory and then Armenia denied it of course calling it like you know disinformation to justify the use of force against them so you know it's not the only time that someone's <laughs> used a tachki U and blamed each other for it right and then of course uh so
1: so with this missile there's like there's plausible deniability of <laughs> Because there's so many of them, and there's been so many modifications, there's um, when you use it, there's like a level of plausible deniability if it, if it strikes and kills somebody.
2: I mean, generally speaking, for all of the the events that we that I outlined, you know, the the party that used the rocket admits to using the rocket, so there's no you know question about that. But I guess what you're trying to get at is that during the Ukraine conflict. We've got two nations that both potent, that both field this same weapon, and they're blowing up in places where they shouldn't, uh, and that raises some questions, and then people point their fingers at each other. So, you know, Kramertosk train station event, <laughs> you know, is the one that you're talking about. And on the 24th of February, uh, Ukrainian... For- uh, before I get into that, because I, I got an, another incident of this, and 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 this was Ukraine actually using uh, the Tachki-U against Russia, and this was on February 24th. Uh, Ukrainian forces basically launched a missile uh, on the Russian Millerovo airbase, uh, and they sent two Tachki-U missiles over there, um, and they were basically doing this in the early days of the war to prevent future airstrikes by the Russian Air Force. Uh, allegedly, they destroyed an Su-30 SM jet, but According to the Russians, they intercepted it and nothing happened, right? Um, The same exact day, February 24th, a Tachka missile was fired by Russian forces and struck near a uh, hospital building in Voldahar in Ukraine, and that killed four civilians and it wounded 10. There was an Amnesty International investigation about that and that apparently proved that it wasn't being used for the military, so that event was particularly extra tragic. And at this point, there's been so much happening that I'm not even sure or remember if this was one of the incidents that Russia denied. So take this with a grain of salt about who did it. But what I can say is that, a Tochki, you definitely hit the hospital. Um, so on March 14th, so we're kind of going along the line for how it was used in this particular uh, conflict. On March 14th, Russia blamed Ukraine for launching a Tachki-U missile, which wounded, uh, killed 23 and wounded 28 in Donetsk. Uh, evidently, it hit a housing facility, and that house housing facility was supposedly used as a barracks for separatist forces. I also can't confirm that. Um, on March 24th, uh, a Russian landing ship called the Saratov, uh, which was docked in a port in Ukraine, Caught fire mysteriously and sunk, and the ship was reportedly hit by a Tachki-U missile, but again, not confirmed. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, we can talk about Kramer Tosk now. <laughs> but before we get into that, you can kind of see like it's been used a lot allegedly on both sides, right? They both have access to it. Uh, we'll get more into the specifics about who is particularly using them, but you know, it's kind of a hot weapon right now. So if you want to know the name of a missile, That's important in this particular one. It's probably the Tachka. Some
1: breaking news. There was a man who was trying to cross the U.S.-Canada border. This was recent. And he was caught with snakes in his pants. He was trying to smuggle pythons from Canada into the United States. Pretty crazy story. And I'll leave you to create your own jokes about that. But uh, we have some other breaking news as well. And that's Harry's razors. So Harry's razors, they're carving their own path in grooming to give you better designed and better value grooming products. Harry saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products. So they came up with their own way to make beautifully designed razors without the ridiculous prices the big brands charge. Guys, I recently hit second puberty. Guys who are in their mid-30s will know what I'm talking about. And I have to shave every single day now. So um, I was using these very crappy razors, and they would get dull right away, and often I would end up using my wife's razors because my razors would get dull, which is bad for everyone. Well, hairy shaving products have changed things for me. So it's a really great quality shave. I never cut my face, and uh, my face feels nice and smooth. Also, their shaving cream smells really good. I really feel like a new man whenever I use my Harry's razors. These razors are some of the best out there. They're for an awesome price as well. They're German engineer blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. There are customizable delivery options for scheduled refills as low as $2. That's half as what you pay for other big brands. That's a really good price, guys. And uh, you have to go with the, the uh, subscription. So I use the subscription because it prevents me from having to go to my local pharmacy and then ask a person to help me because the razor is often behind some type of security plexiglass. Harry's razors are awesome. I love them. They're the best shave at the best price. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com brohistory That's harrys.com slash brohistory for a $3 trial set.
0: What's something you learned in history class that you feel wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. I believe that all history, no matter how good or bad, needs to be told. There are wars, massacres, battles, and entire historical events that are just not in our school's history books. Have you ever heard of Mary Bowser? I didn't think so. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. So come huddle around the campfire with me and get ready to hear the stories that you were robbed of and get comfortable. We're gonna be here a while. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: It's the uh, the Toshka and uh, Iskander.
0: Yeah. There's
2: a few others that are important I'm
1: too. Yeah. I mean, these are the two missiles that you see the most. Um the most references to, that's right. Uh, but obviously, because of the, um, I guess because of the notable civilian casualties, uh, the Toshka is like the number
2: one that the thing that we kind of see on the interwebs, right? And and you know, as I pointed out, the Toshka has kind of a much bigger margin of error, right? So when they're being used, you know, it's possible that you know they're aimed at legitimate targets but just end up hitting shit that they're not supposed to because they kind of suck right um, so that leads me to Kramatorsk. the basic story is that on April 8th there was a railway station in Kramertarsk which was hit by two Totchki-U missiles the attack killed 52 civilians and it injured at least 87 uh This one's gonna get super spicy, so I'm gonna be very careful about how we talk about it. Um, I wanna be clear from the start that, to this day, it's May 4th, so in case something comes out tomorrow, (laughs) I don't want you guys yelling at me. To this day, we don't have definitive evidence that proves who launched this missile, or importantly, why they did. There's a lot going around about it. Uh, If you want to look it up, Google it yourself, come to your own opinions. Not gonna talk about that. I will talk about some of of the background about it. So the the station was full of people that were looking to get on a train and evacuate. And no matter how you look at it, this was an absolutely horrible thing to do. And of course, the going arguments was that the Russians did it. the most heard arguments for this that I've seen so far are that you know Ukraine controlled that area. why the hell would they bomb their own citizens that are evacuating uh, and also that the boosters, uh, the part that like you know propels the the warhead uh, that were recovered from the incident had you know some Russian script on it and it was painted on it and said like in Russian for the children which made it particularly heinous. And of course, You know, to to give the other side of the coin a little bit of airtime, Russians deny it, right? And they argue that they didn't have any planned missile strikes in the area on that day. Uh, They don't use that missile anymore, but the Ukrainians do. And I think that part is a little bit of a stretch because, as I pointed out earlier, the Russians definitely have them, and there are some evidence of them using them. I think they definitely didn't just throw all their missiles away, so there's... I'm questioning that a little bit, but... The one stronger one is that the trajectory indicates that it might have been fired from Ukrainian con- controlled territory. Now, this particular topic is so hotly debated and, and we've, you know, in our Slack channel, you know, for our Patreon members, we've even like gone in depth on different videos and pictures and evidence and things like that. And, you know, there's there's a lot of information on this uh, topic and a lot of disinformation too. So I'd, caution anyone who's interested in looking into it to be careful about what you read and what you believe Um, but I don't want to get into any conspiracies around it. All I'll say is that it looks, it doesn't look very good for Ukraine but shit doesn't totally add up for it not being Russia or the LNR DPR in my opinion either so I'm not going to assign any blame here because there's so much shit online about it that I'm not sure what's right. All I'm going to say is it was super fucked up I do want to point out that there could be ways that we can find out who did it. Uh there's a serial number. Everyone talks about this. It's it's painted on the side. Yeah, I was going to bring that
1: up. Everyone yep. brings up everyone brings up the serial number. Serial number saying mm-hmm. that it was a Ukrainian serial number. I have no idea if that's like real or or if it's disinformation. I I've honestly haven't done my own investigation so i'm not going to speak with authority on it but that's just again what we're seeing on the interwebs the serial number is
2: ukrainian serial number right well the thing about that is that it's just a serial number i i had a conversation with one of our patreon members like in depth about this and we both agreed that okay the serial number is important but none of us can use that information for in any meaningful way the way that i describe it it's like if you were you know if you saw some evidence of a hit and run and somehow you see a license plate number like you ever see those like fender benders right where they you know ram into a car and you know out of a miracle like the, the imprint of their license plate is like on the person's vendor right it's like okay cool there's your evidence it's a license plate number but like regular people like you and me a license plate number means jack shit. <laughs> like we have no idea what the fuck that means, but it means something to someone, right? And we're just not getting that information. So I want to caution anybody who's doing research on this. If you're seeing, you know, hey, the serial number means it's Ukrainian. Neither side, both Ukrainian and Russian, have ever provided any documentation about those particular rockets and who owns them. And they should have documentation about it. Evidently, I've read reports that say that these rockets have documentation, like little passports, which indicate their ownership and like where either that they've been in storage or that they've been deployed, etc. and that both sides should have some kind of documentation around it. And it seems to me like all you got to do is just like, show me the paperwork, right? Show the world the paperwork. But n- literally neither side has produced that documentation yet that i can find no one's no one's showing us this so anyone saying that the serial number it means it's ukrainian they they're misunderstood because no one's given that evidence and if anyone's saying that the serial number means it's russian same argument nobody knows because no one's giving any information out but just because they haven't given out the information doesn't mean we can't figure it out eventually so we'll see i think
1: it would it would be funny if they were both holding back information because they both thought they did it.
2: Like <laughs> yeah, oh we right. did it. Like neither side knows for sure, and they're like oh no I'm not, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, what makes me suspicious of it is the fact that the the uh, the missile was painted for mm-hmm. the children. Yeah, As scary. in, it reminds me. It reminds me of of uh, back after nine eleven when there was anthrax sent mailed mm-hmm. out. And it said uh, death to America and death to Israel. And, right. and like I think it said praise Allah as well. Right. And then it ended up, they right. ended up, you know, they linked it to Al-Qaeda, but it wasn't Al-Qaeda. It was from a lab in the United States. Right. So it, it was just like obvious. It could be a
2: red herring, right? Like that. that yeah, it was an obvious red herring because mm-hmm. um, that's what Al-Qaeda would say. <laughs> right. Right, but that's going down like conspiracy land, and I don't want to go too far down that. Yeah, road.
1: let's um, yeah let's let's spare let's spare people. I mean, on, on that, but right. um, it's good it's good it's good to look into this stuff.
2: <laughs> okay, so another way that we could figure it out is to track the trajectory. Right, so you're going to see a lot of evidence for Ukraine and for Russia uh, around the trajectory. So the the Russians specifically are claiming that the trajectory of this rocket. Pins it as coming from inside Ukrainian-controlled territory, but I've also read reports uh, that claim the opposite. That uh, the, there is a possibility that it was being launched from LNR or DPR territory in the south, uh, and those guys definitely use Tachka U's. Like they, if Russia doesn't use them, they definitely use them, right? Um, so my point here is, I'm not a fucking mathematician or a physicist. I can't do that calculation by myself, and the likelihood is that. Neither can anyone that's listening to this podcast, specifically, even if you are a mathematician or a physicist, like a physicist, because you lack the data, right? There's, there's not a lot of data. There's not a lot of good, reputable information about its flight path. But just because we don't have that data now doesn't mean it doesn't exist and doesn't mean that someone out there in the world can't figure it out. But I just think it's just unlikely to happen while the war rages on. Right, no one's going to be like, yeah, "Yeah, let's get some, let's get some guys, some smart dudes in here, and like <laughs> map the trajectory of this ballistic missile in the middle of a war." That's not going to happen. Danny, right?
1: I think you're mistaken about this. I think that if you went on, if you logged into Twitter, <laughs> every single person who has a Twitter account is a um, mathematician. They have a PhD in mathematics, and they've solved this. Well, you've proven me every wrong. Every single Henry. Twitter account has solved this.
2: I'm just saying, like, but it's but so many unlikely. of them
1: have contradicting answers. Right. <laughs> exactly. So I guess it's still up to her debate, but right. I'm sure they're all, they've all done their calculations.
2: Right. They can, they can show their work. Right. Now, listen, there's definitely data somewhere. Right. Um, but I don't have it. You don't have it. Probably most people don't have it. There is, I think uh, one more way where we can figure this out. And again, spoiler alert, we're not going to figure it out now. It's that Ukraine, the US, and Russia all have monitoring systems in the area that they use to track threats, right? Think about like the S400 missile defense system, right? They all have like very complex radar systems that track missiles in the sky, and they do this all the time because they're trying to figure out if there are any threats that are inbound so that they can shoot them out of the sky. Same as Ukraine and to a large extent, same as the U.S., that's how we're getting all this information about how many missile strikes there have been, right? So there's definitely data somewhere uh, that would corroborate the flight path of those rockets on that day. But unsurprisingly, no one's giving that information up. Like, no one. No one's saying, hey, look, here's the data that we had from this radar on this day showing where it came from and where it landed. No one's doing it and it's likely because that's like showing your hand. You know, we're in a, we're in a current conflict right now and you don't want the enemy to know what you know or what you can see or what you can't see. So this is kind of like a uh I can neither confirm or deny situation, right? And we probably won't know until until and unless this goes into like an international court or something where they, I don't know. Can can international courts subpoena this information? I have no idea, right? So I mean, on this topic, my, my advice is for anyone who's interested in it, you know, who has an opinion on it, like you're totally welcome to your opinion based on the facts that you consume. But in my opinion, we're truly not gonna know anytime soon. So let's just cool it on this particular topic for now.
1: So what are you saying what what you're saying is go off your gut feeling? I'm saying
2: Think whatever you want to think, and back that that gut feeling
1: with maximum veracity.
2: (laughs) No, that's what he's saying. Whatever gut
1: feeling that you have, just go on with go along with that, and then double down on that gut feeling, (laughs) no no matter what evidence is presented in the future. Definitely not. (laughs) That's my that's my strategy. Um. Okay. Let's 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 um. Before someone, you know, has a heart attack and starts, you know,
2: yelling at this show. I can no already what. feel the negative, um, like, reviews being typed as we speak. Yeah. You're totally wrong.
1: <laughs> Jesus. What gives
2: you the goal? I'm um, literally saying I don't know. <laughs> but I'm sure someone's going to interpret that whole last 15 minutes as I'm wrong. So, yeah, we'll see. Um, all right. We can talk about some other missile strikes, some other noteworthy ones. Yeah, let's
1: talk about the warship that was shot. That was that the Russian warship that was sunk because that was a missile. Well, allegedly a missile strike, which I think is, I don't know if it's confirmed or not, but that's the almost the consensus um, between like Russian and and, and both Ukrainian yep. supporters that the Moskva was um, was um, you know hit with a missile and then. It survived the missile attack within it. I guess I've read that there was some type of mistake made when they were trying to haul it back
2: to the port, but maybe maybe I'm i misread that. But um now you're you're mostly right there. I mean, this Moskva warship was the one that was famous a long time ago for, you know, the Ukrainian soldiers were like, "Oh, go fuck yourself, Russian warship," right? And that was in, you know, in middle of April, uh, a couple weeks ago. It was you mean the
1: story, so, the false
2: story about that? Well, I mean the audio does exist of, of them saying like "Russian worship go fuck well, yourself." Well, I mean
1: the snake so, the snake island, the snake island story though was a bit um, exaggerated.
2: Oh, hell. For, yeah. But for, that's not that's for not a point. Western I'm not, audience. I'm not arguing whether or not the, the events occurred as it did. All I'm saying is that there is that one part where he says "go fuck yourself," which I found hilarious. Um yeah, that was the same warship that they were talking about, right? They were talking to the Moskva. And, you know, the sinking of the Moskva was a pretty big blow to Russia because, you know, that ship was its flagship in the region. And ships are super, you know, important strategically and also fucking expensive. Um, and if you ask Russia about this situation, it was an onboard explosion and a fire, and it definitely wasn't the Ukrainians, right? That's That's their story, and they're sticking to it. Nobody really knows what happened to the sailors on board, but Russia said they all evacuated. So take them on their word if you want to. Um, But there were some US confirmed reports of Ukraine using a pair of Neptune missiles to sink it. Um, So Neptune missiles are Ukrainian built anti-ship missiles and its design is based on the Soviet KH-35 anti-ship missile, but with like some improvements on range and electronics and shit like that. but that was a pretty noteworthy use of a missile, right? That allegedly sunk a flagship warship of Russian. So interesting case study of the use of <laughs> missiles in this conflict. Did you um did you see uh a while back, I think I might have sent it in Slack, that video of the NBC reporter that was interviewing um that guy, Mal- Malcolm Nance. Oh,
1: God, that guy.
2: <laughs> yeah. Did you see that oh, video, that though?
1: That guy. Um, yeah, I saw some of it. Is that the one where he's like, oh, it's a 500-pound missile? <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> like, based off the sound.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I thought it was pretty jerk
0: cool.
2: off I thought it like... You can think of whatever you want about him, but I thought that situation was pretty cool. The dude was basically talking about Ukraine to some reporter and then suddenly a cruise missile goes over his head and then he goes like all full military. I mean, he was in the military, so, you know, it makes sense. But, you know, he IDs the missile and he's like, oh, that's a caliber missile, right? And he's like judging based on the direction that they were ship launched. And I don't know, I thought it was pretty cool. He did this thing where he was counting the timing and like inferred a bunch of all all sorts of things like, you know, when another missile was going to go overhead. And he was pretty good at it, actually. So he was like, oh, one's coming. Give it a second. What was he saying? Stand by, (laughs) which I thought was incredibly, like, weird. Um, But yeah, I mean, he he was able to ID it as a caliber missile. And, you know, Russia's been using a lot of caliber missiles, uh, and they're also pretty deadly. Um, These are cruise missiles, right? So you were asking about that earlier. uh, So we can talk a little bit about their differences. Uh, so these they, caliber missiles are have a couple of variants. They have ship-launched ones, submarine-launched ones, air-launched ones, uh, and they have variants that are for anti-ship, anti-submarine, and land attack use. And the missile can carry a warhead that's up to 500 kilograms of explosive or a nuclear warhead. They can do both. But what's so incredibly deadly about them is their speed and maneuverability. So they can do shit like high-angle defensive speed maneuvers, which is basically like missiles dodging shit. Uh, and it's twice as heavy and almost four times as fast as an American Tomahawk cruise missile, which gives it like a huge kinetic potential. And it flies at two, Mach 2.9, which means that it can't really be intercepted by existing missile defense systems either. It's just too damn fast. So you are asking about what the differences are you know these cruise missiles are just much more capable, much more maneuverable, and really fucking fast. That's it. Um, so
1: Mach two point nine. Two point nine. Man, that's pretty damn fast. That's that's fast. So I guess the I man. I don't know how like air defense systems work. Really, I know that they have to fire. You know what they shoot fire goes what like mach 6 right that's what like the
2: yeah but i mean the the interceptors are fast it's just like when you i don't want to get into too much like math it's just really hard to it's like trying to you know shoot a bullet out of the sky while it's moving you know except the bullets not moving in a straight line it could like fucking turn and shit you know so that makes it like extra hard to hit it's, it's a combination of the speed and the maneuverability that just makes them incredibly deadly. And they're very, very accurate, too. So, you know, that they're, they make really great, you know, uh, weapons against, you know, medium-sized targets like like warships, you know, as, is a really good example of what they're used for. Um, but interestingly, just today, literally May 4th, uh, Russia said they fired two of these caliber cruise missiles at Ukrainian targets from a submarine in the Black Sea. Um, the defense minister, Sergei Shoigu, 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 Shoigu,
1: Shoigu, 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 whatever. Shogoy. Shogoy.
2: whatever. <laughs> uh, he took this opportunity basically to warn the world again that it's going to hit any shipments of NATO weapons to Ukraine. And I'll quote him. Uh, he said, the United States and its NATO allies are continuing to pump weapons into Ukraine we view any transport of the north atlantic alliance arriving on the territory of the country with weapons or materials destined to the ukrainian army as a target to be destroyed so they're really saying we're going to we're going to ruin your day if you send some weapons in and uh and they're making good on their promise too cuz it appears that russia has taken to hit like something like six railway stations in the last day in Ukraine, Uh, and in particular railway stations that are used by Ukraine to supply Ukrainian forces with NATO weapons. And basically they're trying to hit their power supplies, right, to like disable the the trains, which is interesting.
1: So I came up with a theory that, you know, there's really no evidence to support this, but again, going off your gut feeling and, and, uh, and backing that with maximum veracity... (laughs) <laughs> is uh, what we're playing right here. So what I was thinking was that it's going to be very difficult to get a lot of these weapons from Poland to Ukrainian forces fighting in Donbass, where the big battles is right now.
2: Especially if they're breaking the railway stations to get them there. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we just signed a... Well, we didn't sign it yet, but it was passed in Congress in the House Biden will sign it, thirty-six million. billion dollars, thirty-two billion dollars, in, in um, military aid. Right, I think a lot of well, I think a lot of this is going is just for the, you know, for like a thousand dollar hammers and stuff like that. Just total bu- bullshit. Um, you know, it's more than Russia's. What's Russia's military budget? It's it's. Uh, I think combined with all the aid we gave them, is more than Russia's uh, military budget.
2: Sounds right. Sounds right to me.
1: Now, I think a lot of these weapons are just kind of meant there to be uh, sponges. So they come in. There's not really a chance that they're going to be able to get to the east in time, but the Russians are going to have to. They know they have to deal with them, so. I'm thinking that maybe they're putting weapons in in places like Kiev and in Western Ukraine to um, hopefully deplete Russia's stockpile of missiles.
2: Honestly, dude, I think you have some that theory has some legs. I really do.
1: So they may may they may just be putting stuff from, in from Poland. Um in 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 targets that you know may not necessarily wouldn't normally be important for the war in the east just so russia eventually runs out of like neptunes
2: um oh well russia doesn't have neptunes those are those are ukrainian but i i get what you're saying excuse me not
1: neptunes uh run out run out of um iskanders or something like that yeah yeah they're iskanders
2: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i I think it's entirely possible put a pin in that because i think i think that goes really well with you know this next point that I wanted to make. I, I really do. I truly do. Um, so something you know, we've been talking a lot about missiles and and you know how dangerous they are and and how widely they've been used. And a question comes out uh, up a lot about like you know if we if Russia has all these dangerous missiles, why don't they just like level Kiev or something like that and just end the war already? And you know it's that's a little naive, but I mean I, I can understand where the positioning is coming from, right? Why? Why risk losing all of your, you know, soldiers and tanks and shit when you just basically end it immediately? And in the beginning of the war, it seemed like that 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 was the strategy, right? They used a they launched a hundred of them in like a couple hours, right? So why not just keep that up? You well, know? they
1: can't do that because there's not it's not predominantly Muslim, so they're not allowed <laughs> to, right? That's, That's how it works. You can you're a lot of you're a lot of carpet bomb Muslim cities.
2: Hey, man, like I said before. Russia has launched more like cruise missile strikes than we did in Iraq in 2003. So technically what you're saying is wrong. They've done more and I'm saying
1: like carpet bombing.
2: mm, They use cluster munitions. So I'm not going to go there though. the, The point though is the reason why they're not doing this is that there is so much potential for collateral damage. Um, Remember CEB or the circular error probable? That's that's like how they measure how accurate a missile is? Well, the more accurate missiles that Russia uses, like the Iskanders, I said this before, they have between five and seven, you know, meters of, of wiggle room, right? That's like sixteen to twenty-two feet worth of margin of error for you know, folks that that don't do meters. Um, because this war is mostly urban combat, it's like super easy to miss the tank on the street and hit the residential building next to it, right? Uh, and that's that's for the good missiles, right? Russia risks running out of like viable good missiles among a lot of other things, and because I've just learned that apparently a good amount of the components that they use to make them are made in Ukraine. Specifically, Russia might be unable to restock uh, a specific cruise missile, the KH-55, because those parts are manufactured in Kharkiv, which kind of explains why they were so adamant about going after that city. Here's a quote that I found from a senior defense official uh, of the United States that uh, he did a a briefing on April 29th. So he said, the preponderance of strikes still are in the JFO and Mariupol. And I would add that in Mariupol, what we're seeing a predominance of the ordinance being dropped is dumb ordinance, not precision guided. And we think that speaks to the challenges that Russians are having with PGM replenishment. So translation, it looks like Russia is running low on the good stuff. uh, And it shows because of the inaccuracy of the stuff that they're currently using. Uh, here's some more. So it says, some of the strikes in Kiev, we believe, were meant for for production capabilities. By the way, I'm reading this verbatim from what he's writing. If, if it sounds weird, I'm just reading it. Um, now, I know that there's reports that they hit residential areas. We have no reason to doubt that they did, but we don't believe at 100% certain that they meant to hit residential areas. In other words, they could have been misses. Okay, so a little bit of translation here and some context. In the first few days, we saw the shock and awe campaign from Russia where they used a lot of the good stuff, right? I mean, if you, if you look at the first couple of days, they basically wiped out the entire Ukrainian Navy uh, and most of its air force in like two days, right? So they were able to use very high-precision weapons during that period. But now it appears that they're either holding out on the good missiles or they're just straight up running low on them because while we're not seeing Russia let up on these missile strikes, there are reports of nearly a 60% failure rate on the strikes. Which brings me back to your idea, Henry, about NATO weapons being used as missile sponges. You know, I just read from a senior defense official at a public briefing saying that they think that the Russians are having challenges replenishing their good shit because they're using dumb bombs. It's entirely possible that they're just sending trucks and trucks full of, like, could be nothing, right? They they don't know what's inside the trucks just to be like a target and make them use more bombs.
1: This is me giving them credit too. Yeah. So, I mean it's either a complete boondoggle or there's some type of strategic importance of of putting weapons in western Ukraine that most likely won't be able to re- to reach these guys. I mean the guys fighting the war in Ukraine now are are entrenched in bunkers in Donbass. Right. I don't know how they're I don't know how you get weapons to them from the from the west. Um Unless there, unless there is some way, but just high level, it seems very difficult when a lot of the logistics and a lot of internal infrastructure has been destroyed. So it leads me to believe if, you know, military planners are, you know, the U.S. is planning all this, let's just get real. Yeah. Um,
0: It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts.
2: That's the IGN Daily Update. Wherever you get your podcasts,
1: I I want to give them some credit. Where some thinker is like, "Well, you know, if we just you know toss a bunch of uh, um, ammunition[s] in, in Western Ukraine, eventually the Russians are going to run out of their best missiles, and it will." It will defang them in the future. So we can let's just say if there is a possible war that breaks out, we know for with confidence that, you know, they don't have these missiles to take out our navy. hmm type thing. That's 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 what I'm that's it's what I kind of envision what their mindset is. It's like a little diabolical if when there you consider is
2: a, that they, you know, are basically arming people, you know. And the likelihood is that if you come anywhere near this Western, you know, weapons, you're going to die, right? So, because they is going to strike it.
1: Let's look what we're talking about right here. The U.S. encouraged the population of Iraq to rise up against Saddam Hussein in the 1990s. And then they were like, just kidding. We didn't really actually mean it. We weren't going to actually... Get your back to the Shia population who rose up against Saddam Hussein, and then Saddam Hussein um, slaughtered tens and tens of thousands of them who rose up against them, and they were like, "What the hell? We thought you—you you said you were going to get our back if we did this." Yeah. So I have no doubt that um, you know they don't really mind using Ukrainians as um, as meat. Shield or no, not mute shields is not the right word. Use cannon fodder, meat sponge, cannon, cannon fodder. fodder.
2: Hey, and you know what? Uh, Follow the money, right? This might not even be a government thing; it just might be a military-industrial complex thing. More, I
1: mean, that's that could be that's Occam's razor, right? I mean, the more it weapons could just they be send like, the
2: more weapons we can buy, they can buy the United States will have to buy from these weapons contractors, right? And, did
1: you see? Did you see um Biden make his speech? With with that at, at that uh, Lockheed Martin plant, no, I didn't see that. What do he say? He's making a speech with a bunch of missiles in the background in the Lockheed uh, Lockheed Martin plant. He said, hey, uh, Ukraine." That's what he said. Sounds legit. <laughs> <the "B-> Ukraine. <laughs> um, something along the lines of that. I'm Bryden, and we
2: gotta. Help Ukraine! <laughs> They're dying out there, Putin. Um, I'm sure Lockheed Martin got a hard on from that too. They're like, "Yes, we're going to make so much money."
1: So I read, I read something where Lockheed Martin's like, "Cool down! We can't keep up with all this business. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we're making too much money. It hurts." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want so many. We don't need that many vacation homes,
2: right? Well, I mean, don't I honestly think that what you're saying has legs beach from multiple dimensions.
1: And Martha's Vineyard. So. We don't need a ski house and a beach house. <laughs> but maybe... We don't need two ski houses, ski lodges. <laughs> we don't need one in Killington, and we don't need one in Aspen. We'll just pick one ski location. Let's just do Aspen, and then we'll get our beach house and Palm Beach, How many Palm mega beach, yachts Florida. do I
2: have to buy? <laughs>
1: But maybe we'll do a week in, uh, we'll do a week in, um, in Napa Valley, right Every year we'll do a week in Napa Valley. We won't buy but we found a we found a bed and breakfast that we like. Very expensive one. Um, but you know'll we'll, we'll, so we'll have we'll have three homes our ski house, our beach house, our main family home and then we'll we'll have our uh, bed and breakfast be go to Napa. I think that's reasonable.
2: Right. But if we have to keep making more missiles, I don't know what to do with this money.
1: <laughs> but it's just so much money. What are you going to do? Give it to homeless people who need obvious care and, and mental support? No, we're not going to do that. <laughs> of course not. We'll just let them live in the subway and do shoot heroin. That will be the more responsible thing to do.
2: Well, we're getting uh-huh. way off the rails here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about something interesting that I that I was reading about. Um. And it's it's the point that I made earlier in the show about how pulling out of the missile treaty, you know, may have been the straw that broke the Russian camel's back. So we've done a million different episodes on you know this particular uh, invasion, and in particular, we've talked a lot about the Russian rationale for the invasion. Um, I'm not going to go into deep detail on it, but some of the high level points are like you you know they started with. All this Ukrainian shelling on the Donbass, where a bunch of Russian-speaking people live. They talk about you know, aligning themselves with you know, the LNR and the DNR uh, so that they can do this kind of preemptive collective mutual defense. Uh, they talk about denazification a lot, right? And they also talk about NATO expansion. And these are all reasons that Russia says that they had to do this special operation and we've spoken a lot about how Russia views NATO expansion as an existential threat. And while that argument does have some valid points, it's, it's super easy to develop the mindset that like sovereign nations should be able to decide for themselves how they conduct their foreign policy and who they align themselves with. And from that standpoint alone, I think you know one can make the argument that while Russia may have legitimate concerns... They have no business threatening violence on sovereign nations like Ukraine, simply because they want to align themselves with the West. Of course, there's always the argument that Ukraine isn't making this choice on their own and that they're being you know, manipulated by the West into doing so. We don't have to necessarily go down that rabbit hole right now, but what I can say on this particular point is that even if there's truth that the West is influencing Ukraine's initial interest in aligning with NATO, Russia's reactive aggression against it fully cemented like that into existence you know if if there's a ukraine to speak of after this war is over russia's invasion alone will make it very hard to convince ukrainian people that non-alignment with the west is in their best interest but i want to come back to this existential threat though while i was researching missiles in particular in ukraine i came across some pretty interesting ideas about what exactly makes NATO expansion such a threat to Russia? It's, it's missiles. Specifically, the kind of missiles that the U.S. and the former Soviet Union, and afterwards Russia, agreed not to build or deploy. You know, So why did we pull out of the INF? Why did Trump pull us out of the INF, the treaty that basically you know, cemented the end of the Cold War?
1: So so it's not it's not that they're worried about the six the the, you know, um, millions of soldiers uh, going over the, the vast plains of of uh, Ukraine. They're not scared about the panze- the German Panzer division. No, um, you know, rolling over Ukraine. Um, they're they're worried about just missiles being
2: placed. Yeah. on their and, borders. And understandably, because they're fucking dangerous, right? I mean, we just spent the last hour talking about them, right? So I wanted to talk a little bit about pulling out of the INF and why that was probably like... I mean, there's a lot of reasons why Russia wanted to do this operation, but this is definitely one of the bigger ones. Um, So in 2014, the Obama administration accused Russia of deploying a new type of missile, the... Jesus. 9M729, or SSC-8 missile. You're never going to remember that one. Don't worry about it. But the point, though, is that uh, allegedly this type of missile uh, violated the INF Treaty because it had a range of over 500 kilometers. Now, the, the treaty itself said you can't build or deploy medium or intermediary range missiles that go between 500 kilometers and 2,500 kilometers, land-based ones specifically. So cut out, you know, you can still use them on ships and you can still use them in submarines. And I I guess you can still use them in the air, but, you know, you can't have ground-based launchers that can do this because the idea was that, you know, on the one side, the West and specifically Europe didn't want, you know, Russia or the former Soviet Union to create these missile systems that they can spin up really quickly. They're super hyper mobile, right? You can drive all over the place off-road in the water and move around really quickly and also be nuclear armed, right because 500 to 2500 kilometers is all of Europe, right from Russia. And Russia had the same concern, right? They didn't want NATO to start creating a bunch of these hyper mobile you know, potentially nuclear dangerous weapons that are rolling all around Europe that could strike Moscow very easily. Right. So there was this mutual agreement that they all came to, to say, Hey, we're not going to do this anymore. And that was one of the like pinnacle points of the end of the cold war, because they were like, all right, great. We're we're not going to do this. We're not going to threaten each other unnecessarily with these types of weapons. I still find it a little weird that they didn't exclude them from ships, (laughs) but, you know, whatever. They agreed. The point, though, is that the Obama administration accused Russia of deploying these types of weapons in 2014. And the Trump administration later used that as one of the reasons to rationalize getting out of the pact in 2019. So Russia refused, obviously, to admit that that missile violated the, the treaty, Uh, But in October of 2020, they actually offered to say, hey, we're not going to deploy that missile west of the Urals, which was beyond the range that they can, you know, damage anywhere in Europe. But the condition was that the U.S. would chill out with its Aegis Ashore missile system in Europe, which they were also fucking around with. So another point to this dilemma, do you remember the Iskander, right? The really good one?
1: Yes, the one we were just talking about. Right. So that missile well, about an hour ago at this right. point, but yes, the first <laughs> that, missile we spoke about. Right.
2: That missile the, was also deployed, and it has a range of almost 500 kilometers, which is super, super close to breaking that INF treaty. Also, so we've got at least two missiles that the Russians are fielding that apparently are breaking the terms of this agreement. Also importantly, China was not a signatory to the INF treaty and has deployed a shit ton of medium-range missiles. We, we've actually talked about their impact on the show. Uh, remember when we were talking about super carriers in the Pacific? So basically, these missiles yeah. are a huge, huge threat. That was a while back. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Um, these missiles are a huge, huge threat to super carriers, and you know, the, the fact that they're cheap and then you can use them in swarms to overwhelm anti-missile defenses basically make Carriers, useless sitting ducks right um, and then also uh, hostile nations like Iran and North Korea have been focusing on this specific type of missile right these intermediary ballistic missiles so all of that put together and Trump pulls us out of the INF and we're all fucked as a result right so you know I think that Right when this happens, the idea of deploying these intermediate-range missiles in Europe becomes a foregone conclusion. We immediately start developing SRBMs and MRBMs, so that short-range and medium-range ballistic missiles. There's almost no conversation about like the strategic or geopolitical impacts of deploying them. The defense contractors are having a fucking heyday because now they get to build a new toy. And basically Putin puts out this proposal, like I said before, and he says, Hey, let's let's just do a moratorium on their deployment. And everyone ignores him. Now, it was kind of his fault in the first place that they, you know, he already seemed to be breaking the rules anyway, but you know, at least he offered to say, Hey, let's let's make a truce on this. Let's not Let's not go crazy, right? But literally no one listened to him. And, you know, is that his fault? Is that Russia's fault for creating those weapons that broke the treaty? Maybe. The point, though, is that this is one of those points that really stick it to Russia, and specifically Putin. He's sitting there going, hey, let's not kill each other Let's agree to not put these missiles anywhere. And for reasons that I stated before, the U.S., we just didn't give a shit. And we started making them. And so did they, right? And we started deploying them. They started deploying them. And now there's like a legit reason why NATO expansion is scary for Russia. Because if they... If Ukraine joins NATO, guess what types of missiles go into Ukraine?
1: <laughs> well, you know my my um, my theory, and I honestly think that this is this is. I'm confident. I make jokes saying that I just go with gut feeling, but I'm 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 confident with this theory. The primary reason that Russia invaded Ukraine was because military parity was was shrinking. There, I mean military. Excuse me, I said that the wrong way. Ukraine was gaining military parity with Russia.
2: And and how and why were they gaining? In, in
1: terms of in terms in terms of missile technology mm-hmm. and just in terms of, and just in terms of I mean look at what Ukraine's military did in 2022 compared to what they did in 2014 and 15. Right. Everybody slept on the Ukraine difference between, initially. Cuz in 2015 it, the the Ukraine armed forces was a joke. Right. Um You know, they they weren't very good. And then they got juiced up by NATO over the next seven years, and and they became a very good professional army. And Mm -hmm. I think think that Russia saw that um, its ability to be a hegemon in the region was shrinking. And they said, okay, we need to do it. And if we don't do it now, then it's going to be a lot harder because like when you hear arguments from like the pro-Russian side, most of the criticism I don't think is like, oh, no, how did you you got us into this horrible quagmire? It's it's more along the lines of either a you're not being strong enough, like you're not like when people when Russians are criticizing Putin, it's like you should have just did Went in with a blunt hammer and and uh, carpet bombed. You know, brought out your bombers. What is it? The two ninety five bombers, the ones that they use. The one that's like equivalent to the 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 B 52s The Tu's. You yeah. should have just. You should have just brought those out and carpet bombed them. And the other criticism you'll hear is that you should have done this years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. So. It's. I think that's I think that's the 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 one of the major factors in why they decided to do it. The other one is that um and this is what Lyle Goldstein says is the the Russia military analyst he says that um Putin got freaked out by um uh, the Belarus and Kazakhstan color revolutions.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah
1: and that was one of the big factors which i think could i think there's 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 definitely in you know that was probably taken in their decision making uh that was probably taken in to his decision making but i think the primary reason was was um was just how exponentially or or how uh fast the ukrainian military went from um not not really much to like a really strong general staff to a trained professional army, and yeah. they wanted to nip it in the butt. Yep.
2: I mean that that's, that's all my true. that's
1: my that's my theory, and, and that whenever I tell it to people, people are like, "Yeah, I think that's probably right."
2: Yeah, but I definitely wouldn't discount this missile thing, man. Because
1: I think that, the missile thing plays along into it, though. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, I think the missile thing relates to it because that I mean that's just a combination of of um. Like, like what I'm trying to say is that there is a national security crisis for Russia. Yeah. Like that, that, that that's what. If if Mexico started, become, what if Mexico just like got a juiced up army out of nowhere, and they had a president who like hated Americans, <laughs> or, or if like you know they were just. You know, you, could just, you can play this game with Russia, with with Mexico and China, you know, say what if China started funding them and juiced up the Mexican military and the Mexican populist um, or government was hostile towards America. How long would that last? So it's like, um, I know it's like this hypothetical that people don't, you know, you can't play that hypothetical, it's Russian talking points. But when you use it, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that the United States wouldn't um, bomb Mexico City, so the most I mean, populated, the, the largest city in, in um, the Western Hemisphere.
2: Right. The, the the thing about that is that you know, while while your example holds legs and you know, as a thought experiment, makes sense, you know, it kind of puts it into perspective of like the why Russians did it. I think the the piece that's missing for that. From that for me is like the the circumstances that would make mexico align itself with china and yeah. become hostile to russia and and you know you have to i don't i, I want to be careful here pretty pretty you, you have to think about what you can you who, can imagine the culpability you can imagine
1: is, it you know? I'm, so, I'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no you're good you're good
2: you can imagine if you're just say- like thinking about the culpability like I don't think in a vacuum Mexico wakes up one day and decides fuck America and I'm going to align with China, right? That's that's something that happens over decades, you know, of of mistreatment and and bad communication and and poor alignment with the United States and it also has to do with influence of China and it also has to do with, you know, money and politics and so many other factors. You know, it you can you can use this as an example to put into context why Russia might do it, but what's missing in there for me is how did they get there?
1: Yeah. Well, it's 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 um it's a it's a century of a brutal history. Right. That's how they got there. Mm-hmm. Um which we've talked about a lot in like the past two months. So yeah. catch our last episode. Yeah, on the origins of the Ukraine Russia crisis. If you want mm-hmm. to hear us expunge on on the uh, political cleavages between Russia and Ukraine, now, um, man, I just had a thought. Oh yeah, so I I do this a lot, man. I have an idea, I instantly forget it, and I don't think this is a good thing to be having when you're still relatively young. But um, to go back. McGregor was on Scott Horton's show, and McGregor said, Colonel Douglas McGregor, he said that he thinks that Russia is actually going to try to hurt the United States and Latin America now. Like they're going to take a actively very hostile foreign policy against the U.S., and they're going to look for weak points in Latin America and try to turn Latin American countries against the United States. Um, Seems
2: plausible. I mean, they already had. That, that's what he. That's what he said in, in Scott or... So, I mean, there's already evidence of that happening, anyway. So it doesn't seem like a. I mean
1: that those those are the obvious. Idea. Those are, those are the obvious um, um, kind of weak point. Kind of weak point that outside of U.S. influence or not completely dominated by U.S. influence. Venezuela being the number one one, uh, component. So let's look out for that over the next, I don't know, three years. Juan Guaido's president again. Did you hear about that? No. (laughs) I'm not surprised, though. Juan Guaido's president. But when the U.S. wants to get something from Venezuela, they meet with Maduro. But they're like, Oh, well, we recognize Juan Guaido again. <laughs> this dork. The biggest dork in the world. Um,
2: well, we've got a couple more minutes here before we can take... Yeah, and, we, and want, we had, wanted to
1: talk about drones.
2: Yeah, a few more things. So before drones, I just wanted to talk about rockets for a bit. Um, because this is kind of in the, in the missile section. You know, missiles and rockets are pretty similar. Um, there's this... Uh, article that I was reading about from Brennan Devereaux, uh, who um, is in you know, he's in the army and uh, pretty smart dude on on artillery and shit, um, and he wrote an uh, article about uh, how rocket artillery can keep Russia out of the Baltics. And he's one of the sources that he was talking about was the Rand Corporation's 2016 report on the Baltic scenario, and basically the, the super old report was basically saying that that if Russia wanted to that within 60 hours it could seize enough you know terrain in the Baltics to basically make NATO cry. Uh, and that prediction is interesting when you juxtapose it against their current performance in Ukraine. And how a lot of people were pretty much assuming the same for Ukraine, like, oh, this is going to be a quick one and done. You know, it'll be over. Yeah, but
1: those are two. Those those are two different scenarios, right there. Um, The Baltic states are tiny. They are tiny, tiny, but they are. They're they're tiny. They're (laughs) tiny. They're in NATO. They're tiny. Well, we're, we're assuming that obviously, if NATO decides to intervene, then yeah, this is a full scale, horrible, probably world-ending maybe, most likely, 50% chance world-ending, I would say, flip-a-coin mm-hmm. type um, conflict going on. I think we're at 10%. If NATO gets involved, we're at like 50% plus. 50% right. is being conservative of like how um, bad it would get. Well, check but, this out. Um,
2: well, check this out. So listen to what this guy is saying here. So the Rand Corporation basically suggested that that we start putting – um, U.S. made high mobility artillery rocket systems, or MLRS, right, uh, in 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 the Baltics, uh, and there's a very specific reason for this, um, and it's to be a response to a potential Russian invasion. So these rocket systems are basically trucks that shoot, you know, rockets, a, a lot of them, really, really far, and really, and relatively precisely as well. Um, Russia has been employing the use of MLRs uh, extensively in Ukraine, um, and they are fucking devastating. Um, arguably, MLRs are one of the most dangerous weapons, like ground weapons that you can have, uh, because you can move them around really quickly, and you know they they could just launch a crazy volley of 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 these rockets to basically destroy anything. Um, and unlike a single cruise missile, or even multiple cruise missiles, you can't necessarily because they're shooting these large like salvos of hundreds of rockets at a time. You can't like shoot them all out of the sky. It's pretty hard, right? So you can basically overwhelm air defenses. And the idea is that these uh, types of multiple launch rocket systems should be in a rotation where they're moving around in the Baltics a lot, and so you, they're not like in a specific area. So is going to have a lot of trouble using its air power to like knock them out. Uh, there's also this idea where you know m- many of these are super lightweight platforms uh, that can be put onto an airplane, you know, like like a C- C130 or something like that, and you know take off, land in even rough terrain, drop off the weapons, have them fire a bunch of volleys and either get back on the plane and go somewhere else or like continue on to do something else elsewhere. And the idea is that they can use these rockets to basically attack the shit out of these out of the Russians' anti-aircraft systems, like their S four hundreds, and they have a lot of them in in Kaliningrad and and Saint Petersburg, uh, which are basically, you know, K- Kaliningrad is, is and Saint Petersburg are, are are the defense against the Balt, the NATO Baltics, right? Uh, and the presence of those uh, anti-air uh, defense systems makes it super hard for NATO to defend the Baltics right uh, and that's why the RAND Corporation was like hey in 60 you know 60 hours it's, they're gonna fall because we can't effectively move troops and weapons and, and things like that into these tiny nations so what this guy
1: just, go ahead. and just just to add just to give you some context the Baltic states are so small that each one all of the Baltic states each one of them Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, all of them have smaller populations than Kiev. Yep. Kiev has about three million, well, it had around three million people. All these states have less than probably, I think the biggest one of them is Lithuania. Yeah, I think they have like 2.5 million, and then the other ones have, I think south of two million people. Mm -hmm. So these are small countries. Um. So, I. yeah, to your point, the logistic problem getting people bodies there basically would be exactly, very
2: tough. Exa- exactly. And so the, the, the worry in the Baltics is that Russia can just roll over them, right? And, and the fact that they have S-400s and S-500s and anti-air defenses means that we can't effectively send over a bunch of fighter jets to, you know, create air superiority over the Baltics to protect them from airstrikes. But if we're able to use, and this is the Rand uh, Corporation's suggestion, if we're able to use these rockets, I mean, each of these rockets or missiles can strike inside of Russia from anywhere in the Baltics. Because as you point out, the Baltics are pretty small. And they can do so with minimal warning. So each, each rocket has, like, the smaller ones have 200-pound warheads that can go 70 kilometers, and, the, and they're precise. And they've got bigger ones that are tipped with 500-pound warheads that can go up to 300 kilometers. So basically, it's like these things could be anywhere in that country, and they could hit anywhere—well, anywhere on the the border of Russia, right, where they would be staging that attack—and basically neutralize the air threat, which would give NATO enough time to move, you know, more material and manpower over and create air superiority. And we're already doing it. We're we're doing it a lot. There are roughly 1,100 to 1,400 troops uh, that are stationed in these four battle groups, um, which is a lot smaller than what the Rand um, Corporation had had suggested. But generally speaking, we're we're doing it already. And if any if the Ukraine crisis is any indication of the effectiveness of these multiple launch rocket systems, and they are, um, then this is really poking. Russia in the eye and saying, like, oh, well, good luck trying to take the Baltics because, you know, this is a pretty good deterrent against, you know, a quick rollover on the Baltics, which I find really fascinating. Uh, and, and the interesting part about this is that those rockets don't break I, uh, the INF Treaty at all because they're lower range. Well, let's just hope it doesn't come to that indeed <laughs> All right, let's, last one let's 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 do this last one. So sure lo- I want to talk about these drones that everyone's talking about because they're hot. The, the switchblade drones, right? <laughs> so these these drones are, are called loitering munitions. The TLDR of this is that a loitering munition is a small drone that you shoot off into the sky from either a mortar tube. Um, they can be launched from vehicles or even airplanes at this point. Uh, and it's basically like a drone, a kamikaze drone. That's what, that's what they, they're calling them these days. And the reason why they call them that is because they kind of fly into the sky, hang out for a couple minutes, find a target, and then drop on them. They're super tiny, they're super cheap, relatively speaking, uh, and Basically anyone can use them, and you don't need to set up this big complicated system. Uh, the smaller ones can be set up in like five minutes, right? And they can be carried by regular infantry. So they're just as dangerous as like man pads or like javelin missiles, right? Because literally any troop can have them, and they're pretty effective. But what they're the reason why they're a little bit more dangerous than these javelins or man pads, is that they actually have the ability to do multiple things. So you can get a bird's eye view and do recon. So now you can see where the enemy is. They have a pretty good range. Uh, a lot of them can, you know, the the switchblades can fly for like 30 minutes or something like that. You know, so that's a decent amount of time and they can travel several kilometers. So, you know, you can go well beyond line of sight to attack the enemy um, and, yeah, I mean the the larger ones can be tank busters, uh, and we've seen the extreme use of javelins and and how effective they are against against tanks, um, the the Russian tanks and and armored fighting vehicles, and I'm sure you've seen plenty of videos of that. These things kind of step that up a notch because now we can extend that reach by a lot, and a lot of people are are hyping these up as being like game changers for know, the current Ukrainian conflict because the U.S. is set to send a bunch of them. So I think last I read, it was something like they agreed to sending 800 of them. Admittedly, the smaller ones, not the bigger ones. Um, but, you know, these these switchblades are are pretty fascinating. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: I just, I know that the Russians' um, troops are, are pretty scared of them. I mean,
2: I think... You know, when I read about them, I don't think that this like changes the war. I don't think you win the war by having a bunch of like tiny drones. I think it changes the calculation about how Russia engages with the Ukrainian forces, though, for sure. Um, and I think it, it escalates it by quite a lot because now they're not going to be willing to risk ground forces on anything. They might be more inclined to just bomb the shit out of them. But hey, as I said before, they might be running out of good bombs, so. That might be a problem because yeah. now we're talking about like just carpet bombing shit, <laughs> you know. Um,
1: yeah, it's. Um, I was reading an article from uh, the the Russia analyst Gilbert Doctoro, and um, he was saying that the Russians' the game plan now is just to have a long, long grinding war and uh, he didn't really write about their, their stockpile of missiles, but man, I, I I don't know what's going to happen at all, but definitely seems like a possibility that, you know, they run out of their, their missiles that can, you know, hit targets within a, you know, within a, what, 10 foot radius. Yeah.
2: Five to seven meters.
1: So I can't convert the metric system. It's too late Less, night right like now. Like 22 cents, 22 feet. <laughs> okay, 22, 22 feet. So, yeah, and they're going to, um, um, I mean, I lost my train of thought again. All right. No it, it's bad. Let me, let me just rephrase saying whatever it is, it's bad. He's a snake to my mongoose or mongoose to my snake. Whatever it is, it's bad. <laughs> um it's from the from Austin Powers uh,
2: so last little bit on this these like drones aren't new lots of people have been using them um and specifically they gained some notoriety during the nagorno karabakh conflict um where uh basically Israeli provided drones and these ones are particularly dangerous these guys can loiter in the sky for nine hours. Nine hours, it could fly around in the sky for nine hours. And because they're pretty small, it's kind of hard to target them, hard to hit them. And, you know, they have pretty heavy payloads, so they can definitely blow up, you know, tanks and things like that. Um, and Russia has them as well. Um, they have, uh, there's this one by a Russian manufacturer called the Zala Aero Group, and they designed uh, a, a drone called the Lancet. But this one is, has, been getting a little bit of a mm, eyebrow raises because it's it uses like an autonomous system to locate and strike targets. So basically no human is piloting it. They just kind of launch it in the sky and it decides what to do on its own. Um so there's obviously some morality issues uh with that in particular. But it seems that that this is the route that you know militaries are going because Like i said they they are relatively inexpensive be used by pretty much anyone they are also can be very useful for you know shoot off a drone and fly out a couple kilometers and destroy a you know destroy an s-400 and get rid of the threat of of you know flying around or destroy a a multiple launch rocket system and get rid of that problem you know um and it seems like Ukraine is building their own homegrown ones as well. Um, so this is, this is going to be an interesting thing to look at. And, and again, I want to underscore, I don't think it's going to change the war entirely, but it certainly will change the dynamic of how it is fought. And I think the way that it changes makes it much more deadly because Russia is not going to want to risk take unnecessary risks because of the existence of these things. But to your earlier point, Henry, how the hell are they going to get them all? <laughs> you know, how are they going to move them to the front lines? That'll be a, yeah, that'll be a challenge.
1: Yeah, um, well, I'll close this by saying that I hope the war ends by the, our next episode, which most likely will not be the case. But I don't know. Maybe everyone will just run out of weapons. That will be the end. M- the M Night Shyamalan twist, right? Right. Um, all right. You want to end this thing? I'm. It's uh. It's getting late. Yeah, man. All right. Thanks everyone for listening to another episode of Bro History. Rate and review the podcast. That is the number one way to support our show. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, and then if you want to further support us, you can join us on our Patreon and get access to our Slack account. Anything you want to add?
2: No, man. That's
1: all. All right. See you guys. Peace we we'll